A few years ago, we came up with this idea of a $24 challenge as part of the reality campaign for Operation Come Home. And the idea was that we took the average 17-year-old who came into Operation Come Home and took a look at what they received in government assistance. And then after all the bills were paid for all the other things that they needed to do, looking for a job, looking for a house, and so on, what did they have left over for food? And it worked out to about $24 per week for food. And so we tried to live for a week on $24 alone for food. It's very difficult. Today marks the very end of that process. I'm recording this right now at about 9.30 at night on Saturday, the very last day of this year's $24 challenge. It's been difficult, and what it ends up meaning is that my brain's a little bit scattered. I'm a little bit slower. I'm not quite uh, as quick-witted as I otherwise would be. And I'm saying that now because during this podcast, you'll hear me talking to Ryan Doucette, one of the newest members of Operation Come Home staff, and I told him we would follow up with him on his $24 challenge during the process. And then I completely forgot to do it because I'm so scatterbrained and uh, not everything is working the way it probably should. It's a lot of canned food, a lot of salt, a lot of carbs, not nearly enough calories, and it does sort of mess with me uh, in the sense that I tried to eat healthy most of the time. I want to encourage anyone listening to this who lives in Ottawa to check out our Poor Chefs competition. That is the final event of the 24, or rather the reality campaign for Operation Come Home. It's coming up on Thursday at City Hall. Starts at 7 o'clock where we have six of the absolute best chefs in Ottawa competing to make the best meal that they can for just $3.15. That's all part of the challenge. Uh, Now, Here's my conversation with Ryan Doucette. All right, welcome to another edition of the People in My Kitchen podcast. Of course, we're not in my kitchen. We are at Operation Come Home, where I'm talking with Ryan Doucette. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well. How are you, Eric? Excellent. You uh, started here, what, two months ago? About two months ago. We're approaching the third month. How are you liking it so far? I'm loving it. It's yeah? good. Yeah. What brought you here? Um... I was brought to OCH through, uh, I started in in youth work, um, working at a drop-in center, uh, and I was looking to sort of transition into an organization that I felt offered a bit more comprehensive approach, one-to-one, more sort of dynamic services, so that's what brought me here. So I joined in with the drop-in center, and then I was working in the employment sector as well, so in the employment program here. So what does that entail? So the employment program is basically we work one-to-one with clients. Uh, We first work on job development stuff. So we do resumes, cover letters, interviewing skills, that kind of thing, following up with employers. Uh, And then we're also doing things like organizational skills, time management, receiving feedback. Uh, And then sort of as well a component of that is social support. So making sure that you know employment is just one part so kind of checking in about education family life uh, if there's any other services or referrals that we could do to sort of help the the person in their job search how successful has that been it's very successful um, we we tend to have a pretty high success rate we we like to vet the people that we work with quite a bit so we'll We'll have you come in, we'll sort of work on the expectations and sort of the structure of the program. Um, A challenge for us is definitely making sure that we're investing our time in the right people. Some people 
are more job ready than others. So part of what my job is, is to sort of gauge people's readiness and, and sort of coach them to the expectation that an employer would have outside of our program. Right. Now, this podcast is going to run during the reality campaign. So uh, from January to February, we do every year the reality campaign. It kicks off with the 24 hours of homelessness. And then we do a $24 challenge where we try to live for a week on 24 bucks, And then uh, poor chefs and a Super Bowl party. I'm not allowed to say Super Bowl party. Superb owl party. Superb it's, owl yes, party. It's, it's going to be terrific uh, over at the Mill Street. Uh, are you participating in any, any of that this year? I'm actually not participating this year. Um, it kind of came up a little bit short notice on me. Um, so the way we work here at OCH is that we're not necessarily always expecting everyone to join in in the same initiatives. Um, so, but we do expect that if anyone takes uh, that isn't doing something like that, that we're sort of offering um, to be an, a representative for OCH in another capacity. So, in lieu of being absent for those events on that weekend, I will be doing events later on in the month. Um, so, I'll be going to speak with uh, an organization in the west end of the city and also visiting uh, a church to speak with uh, the women at the church there. Um, so we generally will, if, if you're not contributing to the 24 hour, you're going to be contributing in another way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've always, I've always advocated, uh, that we don't get every staff member at OCH doing the $24 challenge because the one year where everyone did it, there was nobody around to, uh, put a good face on OCH for that <laughs> week because everyone was testy and angry by the time it was all over. Yes. So I think so I, I will be, preface uh, that by saying, um, I won't be there for the, the 24 hour. Uh, I am attempting to do the $24 challenge though. Okay. I, I will be participating in that one. Just not the sleep out. Yeah. How are you, how are you looking to prepare for the $24? The way I'm looking to prepare for that, um, is essentially doing a couple bulk meals that will be sort of consistent throughout the week. Um, it'll probably be a bit of a starchy week. It definitely um, will. With that being said, it'll probably be some spaghetti, maybe some soup, probably meatless spaghetti at that point. But yep. uh, yeah, I still, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of trying to get some insights from the staff who are a senior here and, uh, and sort of see if I can get any tips from them. But it's, it's definitely a huge challenge. So, Well, we're hoping one day to put out a cookbook of just the cheapest meals that we're able to make, and that will be our guide for the $24 challenge from here I'm on out. I'm looking forward to yeah, that. Yeah, I think I, I could good. use that right now because I'm, you know, it really makes you realize, too, when you, you know, something like the challenge... You know, I'd like to think that, that we're we're understanding, we're aware, and we're empathetic to a lot of the struggles that some of the clients we have endure on a daily basis. But no matter how much you experience that, there's, there's certain things like the 24-hour and the $24 challenge that really make that even more tangible on a daily basis and kind of remind you about just how tough those realities are for people day to day so yeah and I think I think that's the idea and but at the same time it really is a very brief look into it and also I mean as we've said for for years the 24 hour 
is hard and yes we get how difficult it is to sleep outside but no kid spends 24 hours outside yeah they just don't do that they're gonna go inside and a lot of the time the youth will come up and tell us like you guys are stupid what <laughs> like go into the pub it's right there like you know we go inside when we, yeah, we, don't we live go outside, outside when we can you know yeah right the it sucks to have to find shelter overnight in the yeah. middle of the winter that's what uh, you know it's about and same thing with the 24 dollars right I mean, a lot of the youth will panhandle because 24 bucks just doesn't make it for a week. You just yeah. can't, you can't do that consistently and be okay. And they come in here and they get items from the food bank and there's, you know, right, a breakfast sort of here in the morning. To offset can, that a little yeah, bit, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and they need that, right? All right, earlier I heard you talking about uh, once you're done here at OCH, you're going to go become a sniper? I mean, is this... Uh... Eric, I thought this, this was supposed <laughs> no, to be no, an I... off-air discussion. <laughs> This, this wasn't I'm in my notes. I'm curious about it. Like, like that, that, it's just such a, an amazing dichotomy. The, uh, uh, well, I mean, I think I, I, I definitely would agree that uh, it's, it's something I, I think is interesting. Um, it's, uh, my father was in law enforcement, and uh, there's, uh, there's something very interesting uh, about snipers and, uh, and what they do, but uh, you'll have to follow up on the next podcast to, <laughs> see, to see what my next... Uh, any questions about my second career? Well, I, I'm uh, yeah, I'm curious as to what uh, makes you think sniping is. Uh, I mean, is it video games? Did you play a lot of video games and like you got good at like sniping in the video games, and then you thought I could do this for a living? You know, because I could drive a Mario Kart for a living. <laughs> like I know I could. I could do, do that. that too, by the you way. Know? I could do that. Um, no, I think it's. Uh, I think for me, I mean, I definitely. If there's any politics in this podcast, I wanted it wanted to be mostly focused on OCH and, and the work we're doing here, but I think there's there's probably a personal element of that which is um, sort of in, in the new new way of, of conflict and stuff. It it, it isn't it's very detached and uh, I, I still think that, that people who are who are boots on the ground soldiers and stuff like that um, really represent and highlight the the sort of traditional notion of of someone who's who's serving and I, I think it kind of it's it's still conflict but it's uh it's a little less uh depersonal I think than some of the sort of modern combat technologies that we're seeing now um and it's also like have you ever heard of do you know what Kentucky windage is have no. you ever heard of that so when you're looking down the barrel and you're trying to target something it's basically if you're looking at it straight on through the scope, you're going to be essentially doing the math calculations, which I don't know, by the way, <laughs> but you're going to be calculating that and you're actually going to be aiming way off target. And that's so that you're calculating the wind and the cross drafts right. that are going, you know? So I think it, at the end of the day, it is someone just shooting a gun, but I, I think the, the scouts who, who mark the shots and, and, and assess the situations there there's a lot more to it than maybe just firing the gun but i'll have to let you know once i join yeah <laughs> you're gonna have to come back one OCH year from is now pretty good to me though so i i don't know if my sniper career will ever get <laughs> off the ground but i do like the reasoning though i like it uh, i like it because you know so often you see the drone strikes you see the you know removed the from the situation you know you see on the right and you know that somebody who's so far removed from the conflict itself is able to create 
so much devastation. Yeah, literally with a continent away. Yeah, you know? you know, there's there's no personal connection. There's no locational connection, even right. Yeah, and that's kind of. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely understanding to the the <coughs> reasons that the military functions in that capacity. I understand what their their bottom line is for why they operate, but I think it's one of those things as well where it's it's complex. You know, there's there's people often have many views about institutions or organizations or things we see in society, and it's it's important to kind of. You know, although I'm a pacifist and I, I believe, especially in this business, that, you know, nonviolent conflict resolution models and, and those kinds of things are, are my main areas that I think are important. But, you know, it's, it's important not to, to try to generalize and stuff, too. So I, I think maybe I keep the social service and then the, <laughs> the sniper interest just yeah. to sort of balance, you know. I understand. Yeah, you're a complex guy. <laughs> That's what it is. I, uh, you know... And I, I went to a wedding a little while ago, and I was emceeing this wedding. It was out in Petawawa at the base, and so there were a lot of military guys at the wedding, and all of them are in the art, artillery. Right. And after the wedding, and they're all discussing, and they're talking to me as as though I would tacitly approve of, of, of their discussion. And I found it so disconcerting because they were talking about a school bus. And... You don't know if there's bad guys or good guys yeah. on the school bus, and we don't want to put ourselves in harm's way by going to check the school bus, but if we tell them it's a school bus, they'll make us do that. So we're just going to tell them it's an armored vehicle of some kind so that we can blow it, blow it away from the sky without having to look. And I'm going, maybe that's gallows humor. Maybe that's not real. Like, maybe they didn't actually do that. But the fact that they're discussing it so cavalierly to me was so disconcerting that I had this moment of, like, I, you know, I don't want to press this any further because I don't know if that, if you're telling the truth that yeah. this is what happened or if you're just d using dark humor and exaggerating it by saying school bus when in fact, you know, like. Yeah, and, and, and I'm just, just out of curiosity, I'm guessing that you, you probably didn't challenge the table of servicemen. You probably just let it I lie. I did not, and, yeah. And I think that's a thing that comes up a lot in life, you know, whether it's around our our family dinner table or, you know, unfortunately sometimes even in the office and stuff. I know in, in previous jobs, uh, you know, there's there's definitely, when you make a choice to say work at a place like OCH or work in social services, there's sort of this this um, this ethical toolkit that, that you sort of have to live by, you know. And, and for me, I take for granted that, you know, like anti-racism and, you know, uh, certain things that I think are important are, to me, are I'm tacitly supportive of them, but I I realize I'm in a bubble sometimes when I'm at that table and there's right. that discussion about the school bus or there's a discussion about, uh, you know, r racial politics and these kinds of things where you're looking around and you're going, everyone else at the table seems okay with this discussion. And, and it can be a, a very hard moral battle. Do you... Do you ruin the wedding dinner and challenge right. eight servicemen at a table for to, to express your view or to sort of understand you as a person? Do you take that experience and, and sort of try to learn from it and, and not create additional conflict? You know, it's, yeah. it's hard to know sometimes. You know? And, and that was it for me. It was a very, yeah, it was sort of a, a one-off thing. And I thought, okay, 
like maybe I can justify it in my mind. It was just dark humor, and I have to go back up there and be entertaining. I'm the MC here. Right. I have to crack some jokes or whatever, you know. And uh, so I went back and I just did that, and that was, you know. But yeah, that stuck with me for like a year now, or anything. That's, you know. But at the same time, I imagine that it's kind of like that here at OCH all the time too. You know, I had this discussion with uh, I think Elspeth the other day. You know, what happens if there's one of these neo-Nazi rallies on the hill or wherever that they would hold one? And there have been a couple of small ones here in Ottawa. What happens if one of the youth comes here from one of those? You know, walks back in here having just been to that. Do you even acknowledge it? Do you deal with it? How would you, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if there's a right answer for that. Did Al get to the answer on that part or no? Uh, well, she just said that she she figures that we just wouldn't acknowledge it, that we and, and we would service the person. Yes, right, because there's still a youth in need, and regardless of the situation, and you would hope that over time they start talking to people here, and you know you can steer them onto a path that isn't, you know, Nazism, yeah. right? Absolutely, I and I would totally agree with L on that position, you know. So, um. Especially in the in the era of uh, of Trump and things like that, I don't think the world is much different than it was a year ago. Um, but I think the level of comfort that people have to express certain views that I think have always been there, but now sort of have. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard, have you ever heard of the term social licensing? Yes. So I think it was uh, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell or or someone like that that had kind of looked at that and you know he was sort of assessing how you you see sort of someone like Obama get elected and you know although the 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 nuts and bolts of the argument I'm I'm a little less sort of you'd have to check in with Gladwell on that but his whole point is that you'll you'll often see in in societies you'll see even in like Nazi Germany and stuff you'll see sort of a quiet um, a quiet prejudice or something like that that's then bolstered by some sort of, you know, so one step forward in progress and, you know, the powers that be or the sort of structures that created that system in the in first place sort of revert back to their old ways because they think they've done a good job. Right. So in that kind of American political context, it was like Obama's had the House for a few years you know, and and people. Now, I don't think that's implicit. I don't think people wake up and say, "Okay, you know, the the term of, uh, of the first black president is over. Let's you know, let's elect a highly charged, yeah. you know, racially like the vitriolic. worst possible person we can find." Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's like that necessarily. I think it's just it's sort of the complex social psychology of how people make decisions and assess information. I think people are mad, you know, I, I think people, you know, I, I think it, it stretches far beyond. So one of the things I have to do in my job is that, you know, I have to look at the ways that people perceive my clients, you know, the, the attitudes, the preconceived notions that people have, right. about, you know, people who are, are on the margins of society. And, and, you know, you, it's, it's a constant, effort to to have the education that you can or the information that you can use to sort of it's an interesting thing when i used to think that i would advocate for people who did my kind of job and organizations like och but there is really nothing all the politics go out of the window when you see a young person who's cold hungry and in a position of crisis you know the right. the politics and the 
I'm a taxpayer and uh, th those kind of things, those are still important ideas that inform how you think, but there's really something I urge people, you know, that are, that have a certain view, go hang out with someone. Go, have you ever spoke with someone of right. that group? Have you ever been in a homeless shelter? You know, I think everyone owes it to themselves to at least, if you, if you formulated an opinion on it and you've never been actually around the environment, maybe hold off on the next opinion and give yourself a chance to sort of... Oh, I agree. I think uh, it really hit home for me the other day uh, when Jody Middick, the local counselor, uh, came out with his story of alcoholism and that's why he had missed a bunch of the council meetings and, you know, really was quite brave in his assessment of himself and he, you know, explained everything, said he was very flawed. He went on the radio to do an interview and explained it all, and he was very open. And the outpouring of support for him was remarkable from people in the community. But I felt at the same time that a lot of those people in the community don't look at him the way they look at somebody else who's an addict. You know, they have one preconceived notion of Jody Middick, war hero, lost his legs, had, you know, right. is somebody to whom we can look up and therefore deserves our support with this understandable PTSD and the, you know, and it is understandable. It certainly is that he would have these, these issues, but then they look at somebody who, you know, uses a safe injection site and they think drug user, fuck them. Yeah, you know what I mean? Not, not in my backyard. Yeah. That kind of thing. Right. Like why are we enabling people to use drugs? Why are we enabling these addicts? Like screw them. Yeah. And I, I really want people to look at the two things the same. I, there's so many youth in here suffer from PTSD, yep. from something that, you know, not from war, but from something that happened in the home, from something that happened to them on the street. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many things that are going on in their lives. And for people to look at addicts differently based on... Where they fit into society. Right, yeah. yeah. Look at Rob Ford. Yeah. You know, how we... There was some. There were some good articles written about how we, how we we were almost rewarding that. You know, I I know that I think he had, uh, you know, I think he had balanced the books up a little bit in certain areas, and there there was every reason to look at Rob Ford as as something other than a man who needed help. And, right. And who you know, he was, you know, we would never look at you know someone who's homeless and, and addicted and say they could run a city. Right, right, but we we do that for other people, you know, and and I'm I'm not trying to take away from his legacy or speak ill of of the dead, but it was an interesting sort of preamble to some of the things we see now about these highly controversial and dynamic people who, you know, have a lot more than you're not just an addict, you know, and I I totally agree. I think people, you know. But that's also a media thing, too, as well, you know? So people get to hear Rob Ford's story. Right. They don't always get to hear the story of the people who live down the block or, you know? So I think it's about kind of, like you said, trying to change those values and, and trying to, you know, at least offer that maybe those people should be considered, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a tough battle to fight, but I think with... With especially people like you and you know people who stand up as for that voice, I think makes it 
even more close to a reality. I think highlighting those voices is the best thing that we can do. There's a really interesting uh, social media campaign called Invisible People. Uh, I'm sure you've seen yeah, it, heard right? It. And they uh, will go and find a homeless person in either summer from Ottawa, summer from you know New York City, summer all over the states and all over Canada, and they'll just highlight that person, interview that person, their life story, and tell us where they came from. And you know, but the thing is, in order to see that, you have to seek it out. Yeah, it's not going to just come to you in the six o'clock news. It's not going to be a part of you know MSNBC's twenty-four hour coverage. Yeah, you have to look for it yourself in order to find it. You know, and so boosting that signal, I think, is probably the best thing we can do. And that, that's another thing, too, is that, you know, it, it really does start, you know, so you asked me earlier when we first started talking, uh, you know, what brought me to OCH. And for me, what brought me to OCH was, you know, I, I had, because sometimes kids will ask me here, you know, oh, did, did you experience that growing up? And, you know, I, I have to be honest with them about certain things, yes, certain things, no. But to me, it was that decision, that decision to say, okay, well, I, I don't, I don't really fully understand everything about every issue under the sun, but I'm going to make an effort to, you know, oh, I, I like this, uh, this roots of world conflict class, or I, I like this psychology class that, that teaches me just a little bit more than I knew before. And, but that was me. Like, you have to make that decision to say, I'm going to think a little bit differently than my parents or my neighbor right. or, you know, you, you have to make that conscious decision because I think it's far too easy to have some of those negative narratives and those, those sort of things become more of an easier, more digestible message. I think so, especially for the youth that you work with here who are so vulnerable in the first place. Uh, they're far more susceptible to the more dangerous messages out there. Yeah. You know, and in a way you're a gatekeeper of that uh, in as much as you can be. You know, you can't tell yeah. them what to think, but you can hopefully steer them in the right direction. Yeah, and you can have, you can have dialogues about, you know, and, and it's not one of those things where, you know, you're trying to be uh, preachy or you're trying to be, you know, from this position of authority. It's, it's really this position where you're, you're trying to get down to the level of, of where, where they're at. So when you're at a place in life where you're not necessarily sure where you're going to be staying tonight or maybe next week and, you know, you don't have maybe a supportive close family or friend network that you can rely on, like, the way that you might make decisions or navigate life is going to be way different than, than somebody who has those resources. But you're still people at the end of the day. So for me, having a discussion about, you know, the implications of, of you know, wanting to, to use violence to solve a problem or, you know, you know using just aggression in general, we, we, we stay away from those behaviors, but not in a preachy, you know, everyone's happy and feel good way, but more in like a tangible way of, you know, if you make a decision to solve a problem with violence or, you know, hurt and aggression, it's probably going to result in more 
hurt for you or it's it's the vicious cycle you know and so you try to have a dialogue with people about that and that's when you realize that you know a lot of times people have the dis- the ability to make a decision but i think that's highly informed by it's the sort of nature nurture oh i, I agree argument, yeah you know by the circumstance in which they find themselves and then uh, okay, I'm going to end it here, but this will run during the $24 challenge, so we're going to check back in with you during that and see how Perfect. that's going. I do want to warn you off one thing. Uh, one year, yeah. David, who used to work here, decided that he could just buy two 20-pound bags of potatoes and live off that for a, a week, <laughs> and he couldn't because that's terrible, and it's just boiled potatoes. It's a terrible idea. Just don't do that, okay? Absolutely. I All think right. that's a good tip for now. <laughs> that's until a good tip. That's my only tip. Comes out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank All you right. so much, Eric. Thanks, man.